Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRM. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Hi, everyone. Welcome to I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman, president and founder of Mindset Go, where we help train confident and effective communicators. So here we are today. I want to know how everybody's doing. Clearly, it's a rhetorical question, but how many of you out there today are feeling burnt out, stressed, anxious, tired? How about overwhelmed? Well, I think that's about the majority of the world right now. And it's, it's a difficult time to be a human being. So many things are going on. COVID, obviously, is a huge factor. But it's, it's not just the COVID, it's the changes and adjustments and adaptations COVID is creating. And people cope different ways, right? You know, you're, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And how do we get by? How do we cope? I was talking to a few leaders doing a cohort-based leadership training earlier today And some of the leaders were talking about how it's important to not show your team you're overwhelmed or you're stressed or you're tired. And I think, well, yes and no. It's important that you feel like you can be a human being. And I also think it's important that you show certain characteristics, but you also model and explain how you overcome those feelings. So if you're feeling stressed or you're feeling overwhelmed, what do you do about it? How do you cope? How do you move forward? How do you stay resilient? It's called managing yourself. And really, to be an effective leader, you have to know how to manage yourself. And we see more and more stories on a daily basis about the great resignation. It's getting tiresome because it's real. 20 million people have left their jobs in the last year, and there is no sign of that trend reversing. And why are they leaving? They're leaving because of the list of things I read at the top of the show. They're stressed, they're anxious, they're tired, they're overwhelmed, and they're feeling burnt out. And there's numerous factors that contribute to those things, and there's numerous factors that contribute to the great resignation. And you know what I'm seeing more and more? I'm seeing more and more people talk about empathy. And I got to be honest with you. When I started Mindset Go seven years ago, I was just learning about emotional intelligence and just understanding and starting my research on it. And I have to tell you, it was an interesting concept. And I remember about halfway into Mindset Go's existence at the three or four year point, I started selling it. I started presenting it to companies and organizations as a effective solution for top flight leadership. And I, people were like, emotional intelligence. What? Listen, we got bigger problems than emotional intelligence. You know, our sales are down. Our leaders aren't getting along. We're struggling in operations and scaling. And they would, these companies would share with me their whole long list of problems. 
And I said, listen, there's two things that are going to solve most problems in life, emotional intelligence and communication. And so what we do at Mindset Go is we, we merge the two. And really what we're doing is we're teaching people how to be emotionally intelligent communicators. And one of the secret weapons of emotionally intelligent communication is empathy. You've heard this before. I don't believe there's one person listening to this show today that is saying, oh, well, empathy's foolish. People know in their heart it's important to be empathetic, but I don't think they really know the value of being empathetic. You know, you'll hear, you can look it up, you can Google it, they'll say, well, it's important to be empathetic because it enhances overall cooperation. It creates respect. It allows you to understand other human beings' perspective. You know all that. You know all, but that's, that's peripheral. Those are peripheral benefits. And if you're going to apply a strategy, a tool, trying to influence and motivate people through empathy, you need to learn how to do it. But you're not even going to bother until you truly understand the benefits that it offers. And, you know, one of the things that's challenging about empathy is it's how to weave it into a conversation. It's how to use it as an authentic tool of influence in the conversation. And an analogy I like to make to people, for those of you who are familiar with what a sales job entails, one of the aspects of a good salesperson is they know how to build relationships with their clients and prospects. And part of building relationships is rapport, in, in building rapport and maintaining rapport. And in, in, in the best salespeople, this is effortless for them because they just understand that it's all about relationships. Well, you know that you have learned how to use empathy as a tool of influence and motivation when it becomes effortless for you. And what's interesting is Maya Angelou, who, um, God bless her, she is now the first black woman on a quarter, which is so exciting. Maya Angelou had a quote that says, I think we all have empathy. We may not have enough courage to display it. And when I heard that, courage, I thought that was an interesting choice of words. And it made me think, why do people struggle to be empathetic? So before we even get into the, the real, real benefits of empathy, I ask, why do people struggle to be empathetic? And I think there's a handful of reasons. The first reason to me is it feels like for a lot of people, when you're empathetic, you are signing off on or enabling a behavior. So for instance, if someone gives an excuse for something they didn't do, if you were empathetic, and I want you to take a step back and think about this, an excuse is a trigger for a lot of people. I don't like excuses at all. I'm about accountability and a blameless free culture. I don't, I don't even, I teach leaders to have conversations that don't facilitate excuses. Because a lot of the reason why people give excuses 
is because they're asked for an excuse. Why did this happen? Well, when you ask someone, why did it happen? Your innate human reaction is to defend yourself and justify your actions and make an excuse. So if you don't want excuses, don't ask for them. But here's the key. When you get an excuse, you're frustrated because you may not believe the excuse. You may just be triggered by excuses, period. And if you become empathetic when someone makes an excuse, it's almost like you're accepting and agreeing that that was an acceptable response. If someone makes a commitment to do something and they don't keep their commitment, what do we typically hear when someone doesn't keep their commitment? Oh, I'm sorry I got busy. Oh, sorry I forgot. You know what I meant to do it, I just never got around to it. Those are the kinds of responses you hear when people break a commitment. Those are all excuses. So if someone breaks a commitment to me and then they give me an excuse, you know how I feel? I feel disrespected because I don't feel like I'm 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 a leader. I'm a parent. So if I ask you to do something and you make a commitment and then you blow off that commitment, I feel disrespected. I question your integrity because you're not doing what you say you're going to do. So all these thoughts circle in my head when someone breaks a commitment. And this is the thing about integrity and honesty. People like to say they, they're honest and they have integrity. And then they, they manufacture their own definitions of it. So integrity means, yeah, I follow through most of the time. Or I unilaterally pick and choose what I follow through on. In other words, I do what I say I'm going to do, but sometimes, keyword but there, sometimes I don't respond to my emails in a timely fashion, but all in all, I follow through. I don't know that you can pick and choose. You either keep your commitments or you don't. So this is the thing about empathy. Even if you were inclined to be empathetic, you have to be self-aware of why you're not willing to be empathetic. And not willing meaning you feel disrespected. You feel people aren't honest. You feel people don't prioritize your wants, your needs, and aren't meeting your expectations. So you want me to be empathetic to someone who is violating all those things? I don't think so. I'm not going to be empathetic to that. So when we come back for our next segment, I'm going to explain how you can have your cake and eat it too. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. So we're talking about empathy. How to have your cake and eat it too. How to be empathetic and still hold people accountable. Because I don't want to let people off the hook. I don't want to let them think that their lazy, feeble excuses are going to cut it. Now, for the record, I don't really think that way. But I'm mimicking, I'm, I'm, I'm mimicking and acting like a common 
mindset of a leader. And so here's the thing. When someone gives you an excuse and doesn't meet your expectations and doesn't keep their commitments, when you say in your response is, someone says, I'm busy, and you say, I get it. There's a lot going on right now. We have a lot on our plate. We may be shorthanded and understaffed because labor shortages are real. So I get it. I get the overwhelm. I get why you're struggling to keep up. Now let's stop right there. I get the overwhelm. I understand why you're struggling to keep up. I did not say you don't have to keep commitments moving forward. I didn't say it was okay that you didn't keep your promise. I didn't say your excuse works. We don't need to talk about this anymore. I didn't say any of that. I just said, I can understand your perspective. I can see why you may be struggling in those areas. Is that so hard? When you lead a conversation with empathy, one of the most critical things it does is it doesn't put people on the defensive. And you open the door for an honest, courageous conversation where people, if they genuinely feel like you have an interest in them and you have their well-being in mind, they're more likely to work and collaborate with you on how to solve problems and how to fix bad habits and behaviors so they can keep those commitments and they value keeping those commitments. So that's where it begins, is it's an it's a recognition, it's a self-awareness for you, the leader, to know that by leading a conversation with empathy, when you are frustrated with someone, for what you may see as disrespect, dishonesty, excuses, if you lead with empathy, then you may figure, you may see a different course of action in the conversation. Because if you start in the conversation with, you know, you said you were going to do this, and you didn't do it, what are they going to do? They're going to defend and justify because you've put them on the defensive. You made a statement. You made an accusation. You criticized. What do human beings do when they're criticized and accused or blamed for something? They defend themselves. Look, one of the greatest examples that I I can give, if you're a sports fan, and even if you're not a huge sports fan, I want you to think about this because if if you understand the sport of basketball, even if you don't watch it or love it, you'll understand conceptually what I'm talking about. And I, I'm a huge basketball fan. I've been coaching basketball for 20 years. I'm a big pro basketball fan. Um, I love playing it, even though I've torn my ACL twice playing it. Uh, two different knees, by the way, joyous. And so I think of, I think of playing a sport, and we're going to use basketball as an example. When a player gets called for a foul in, in basketball and they didn't believe they committed the foul, what goes through the mind of an athlete who is told they did something that they didn't do? Well, there's a frustration level that the referee or the umpire or whatever it is 
may not be good at their job. And then we want to defend themselves. And so many athletes, if you watch sports, want to defend themselves when they feel like they were wronged and called for a foul or a violation or something that they didn't do. And these athletes respond in a way of they'll mouth off to an official, they'll throw their arms up in the air in disbelief and have poor body language, they'll say something to the official with a bad tone or bad words. And so we see this happen in sports all the time. Can you imagine in, in business, if you were blamed and accused for something and you started mouthing off to your boss and you threw your arms up in the air and said, you don't know what you're doing. It, it just wouldn't really happen. It's not normal in business. In sports, we see it all the time. So what's really going on? What's really going on is it's not about the foul or the violation. It's about I feel criticized, accused, or blamed, and I want to defend myself. And I'm not letting you get away with criticizing, accusing, or blaming me because I want to defend myself. I'm not going to let you get away with that. So if you understand the analogy, and you're trying to understand one of the most significant benefits of empathy, it's you're not putting people on the defensive. You're not putting them in excuse mode and you're allowing them to share their perspective on what's going on. And the way you lead with empathy in a conversation is you ask questions instead of making statements. So when you validate someone's point of view, when you empathize and make the effort to understand why this habit or behavior or action that is frustrating you took place, that's where the conversation starts. Let me understand their perspective. Let me understand their point of view. I'm going to validate what they're saying. I'm going to empathize with them. And frankly, what they're saying might annoy the heck out of me. It may be excuses. It may be something that I think is total BS. But if I get triggered and I react angrily by making accusatory or critical statements, the conversation is not going to go anywhere because the only thing the other person is going to be intent on doing is defending themselves. And you're putting people in a defensive mindset. We don't want to do that. Effective communication, conversational intelligence, is about facilitating conversations where people speak their truth and are honest with you, and are willing to be vulnerable and share with you flaws and weaknesses and insecurities. That's what a courageous conversation is. So when you're trying to understand the value of empathy, it starts with that validation piece and understanding someone's point of view. And then the continuation is curiosity. I, I want you to ask yourself, when you're thinking about conversations where there are opportunities to be empathetic, which is the majority of conversations, ask yourself, I wonder why this person did what they did, said what they said, behaved the way they behaved, wrote the what they wrote. Why did they do it? What was their motivation? What was this really about? Did the person 
set out with this master devious plan to say, how can I annoy my boss today? How can I annoy my dad or mom today? How can I annoy my coach today? It's possible. People can be passive aggressive. Sometimes people can be intentional in their behavior and actions, but it's the very small minority of people that set out to be malicious and devious. It's a very small minority, very small. So then what the heck is their motivation? When they break commitments and don't have integrity and make excuses, if it's not out to annoy you and piss you off, then what's it really about? Well, it's about a lot of things. And the reason why in a conversation, in effective habit and performance improvement conversations, you use curiosity is because instead of assuming intent, instead of thinking you know why someone behaved the way they did, and even more so, even if this person has a pattern or track record of doing these kinds of things, in those cases, it's so easy to be judgmental and assumptive. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to wonder, why did they do this? Why did they miss the deadline? Why didn't they reply to my email? Why aren't they doing following the processes we set forth? Why, why, why? And it takes a lot of questions. It takes questions to truly understand why people are, what motivated someone to do something, what barriers they're facing, where there are breakdowns in confidence, knowledge, and skills. There's a lot of reasons why people don't meet expectations. So when we come back for our next segment, we're going to build on that and talk about other ways to use empathy as a tool of influence. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. You're listening to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman, and we're talking about empathy. And we're talking about it from a big picture perspective. We're talking about the great resignation and 20 million people who have left their jobs and people are still leaving. The trend continues. And we're talking about some of the factors that lead to the great resignation. And more importantly, we're talking about solutions. And I think it can be a hard concept for executives and leaders at times to grasp, wait, if I'm more empathetic, people might stay crazy. So that's all I have to do is be more empathetic and people may stay at my company instead of quit. Well, that's not all you have to do, but it's part of the solution. Empathy is not a be-all, end-all fix. It is a cog in the wheel in a critical part of building and retaining relationships with people. Because if the people that work for you see that you default to empathy, you don't make assumptions and prejudge things, and you're truly curious about who they are, how they think, what their challenges and limitations are, if they think you're genuinely invested in not only understanding those things, but how to support them through those things, well, yes, that's critically important to employee retention. And I think sometimes when organizations 
are assessing what do I invest money in when it comes to professional development? Because there's so many directions money can go. I mean, you know, one of the hot ones lately is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Very valuable. You've got mental health. Very valuable. You've got leadership development, emotional intelligence, and communication. Incredibly valuable. You've got wellness. Mindset Go recently acquired a wellness company, and wellness is a huge part of our offering now. Resiliency, stress reduction, managing yourself, confidence. They're all important. How do you pick? How do you understand what your company needs most? Well, I can help you with that. What your company ultimately needs is a culture of caring, of relationship building, of people being emotionally intelligent, so they're self-aware of how their actions impact others, how they are comfortable responding to situations and not reacting verbally, non-verbally, in written form, listening to understand, understanding what motivates people. People are motivated differently. How do you know what buttons to press? How do you know what is going to help people overcome resistance to change and embrace it as an opportunity? And how do you use empathy as a tool of influence? Everything comes back to emotional intelligence. No bias. I'm going to keep saying it. Because that set of core competencies, that set of skills drives behavior. It drives relationships. It makes people feel validated, appreciated, recognized. It makes people know how they're directly contributing to the organization. It helps people feel challenged. It facilitates and fosters collaboration, innovation. It does. Some of this stuff is direct, some of it's indirect, but it does. So here's the thing. There is an activity and an exercise I do in training and coaching. It's called conversation stacking. And it's designed to help leaders who are distracted easily. And when I say distracted, I mean distracted in a few different ways. Number one, distracted when someone makes an excuse and you let your emotions get the best of you. And instead of focusing on an outcome in the conversation that will move the situation forward, it's more about the person's excuse. So this is a technique to avoid becoming distracted by your emotions when excuses are given. This is a technique to avoid becoming distracted when the person takes you on a, on a left turn and derails the conversation because they start talking about other things that aren't relevant. So now, what are you going to do now? Because you're going to rein the person back in. So this is a technique that also addresses that. And conversation stacking keeps you so focused on responding to the last thing said. So I'm going to, I'm going to do a little demonstration here for our listeners. So the idea in conversation stacking is you ask someone a question, they answer the question, 
And your next question has to relate to the last thing they just said. So for instance, if I say to someone, what's your favorite color? And they say green, my next question would have to be something like, well, why do you love green? Well, it makes me happy. And then I could say, what other things make you happy? And they say, cars, vacations, and my kids. And I say, how old are your kids? So do you see the cadence? Every question has to connect to the last question asked. Why is this important? It's important because if your intention is to listen to understand, right, to be curious and not get distracted, it, this allows you to become singularly focused to truly understand the person's perspective. So in the example I gave before, if someone was giving an excuse and they said, why didn't this get done? Geez, I'm sorry, I got busy. Now watch the conversation stacking in conjunction with empathy and curiosity. So they said, I got busy. I get it. We're all managing so much right now. How are you doing overall? Because there's a lot on your plate. Well, to be honest with you, yeah, I'm struggling because there's really a lot to do. So now you've engaged the person in conversation. You're authentically being empathetic. And then you look at the person, you say, have you tried anything to reduce your stress or overwhelm? I haven't. Would it be worth talking about collaborating together and discussing maybe some strategies we can put into play so you're feeling less stressed? We're now, I want you to time this now, we're about a minute, a minute and a half into the conversation. And all I'm asking is about them, their well-being. Have they thought of any ways to get better? Can we work together to come ways to get better? And so that's, that's what I mean about leading with empathy, right? And being curious. And now here's where the accountability comes in. And the person, the last thing the person says is, yeah, to be honest, I would love for us to sit down and talk about different ways because I am struggling. And you're like, great. And in the meantime, and in the meantime, these projects have to be turned in on time. And they're not currently being turned in on time. So in this meeting, what we have to figure out, that's a priority and it's, an, it's a critical part of your job. So I would love to sit with you and talk about ways to reduce your overwhelm. And right now we have to figure out how to make sure you can meet this deadline starting this week. There was no meanness. I wasn't critical. I wasn't accusatory. I just stated the fact that this is a priority. You need to do it. And we've got to figure out how to make it happen. And this is the thing about the word accountable. It puts someone in a hierarchy position. If I'm going to hold you accountable, I'm your boss. I told you you need to do it, so you need to do it. And if you don't do it, there's going to be consequences. And you're going to have to answer to me. That's, that's like an old school mindset of leadership. It really doesn't involve the other person in the solution. It's you're the boss, you told them what to do, so they need to do it. And listen, I'm not in the business of enabling behavior. So if you're listening to this show and you think, oh, this guy's coddling them, he's letting off the hook, nope, 
That's not what I'm doing at all. I am not recommending anybody do that. I don't do that in my own company. I don't do that with the people in my life. My kids, my girlfriend, I don't do that. I don't coddle people. I don't enable behavior. I hold people accountable, believe me. But I don't do it in an authoritarian kind of way, in a demanding, hierarchical kind of way. Because I just don't think that's an effective way to motivate people. So when we come back from our final for our final segment, I'm going to continue on this line of thought about what the conversation looks like to use empathy, use curiosity, and at the same time hold people accountable. For Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be back for our final segment right after this. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Welcome back to I Communicate and We're talking about empathy and how emotional intelligence and empathy specifically is a powerful tool to help your client retention, your employee engagement, your productivity, and to stem the tide of the great resignation at your company, if that is indeed a problem. And what's interesting is if you go on my website and you see this tagline, how to help people become more confident and effective communicators, right? You ask yourself, yeah, how do I become a more confident, effective communicator? But there's two sides to that. It's how to communicate effectively externally and how to communicate effectively internally. And let me be clear. When someone, and you're a leader, and someone doesn't meet your expectations, what does that inner voice narrative look like? I was working with someone this morning, and I said, Tell me what it looks like when people don't meet your expectations. He said, about the other person, how I feel about the other person? I said, no. How you feel about yourself? And he said, well, here's what, here's typical things I say to myself when people don't meet my expectations and disappoint me. He said, I don't have time for this. In other words, I now have to spend more time with this person because they're not doing what they said they're going to do and what they committed to. He said he starts to question whether he hired the right person whether his strategy for that person is effective. He starts to wonder if they respect him. And his motivation is significantly affected, all from people not meeting his expectations. When you typically look at when someone behaves, we focus on how do we feel about the other person. And emotional intelligence is being curious. It's responding and not reacting when we're trying to understand the root cause of someone's behavior. Yes, that's huge. That's a huge aspect of empathy. But what about being empathetic with yourself? If your default reaction, when people don't meet your expectations and let you down, is to be unfairly critical, that's not ideal. And and, and I want to clarify something here. There are times when you deserve to criticize yourself. If you don't keep your commitments and you don't do what you say you're going to do, well, there's some aspect of self-criticism that's important to hold yourself accountable there. But even in that case, being self-critical doesn't really accomplish anything. If you said you were going to do something and didn't do it, you could beat yourself up for not doing it because you quote-unquote deserve it because you didn't keep your commitment, or there's a better option. Why not, instead of beat yourself up, 
incorporate a growth mindset and say, you know what? I blew that. I broke my commitment. That's not who I want to be. That's not what my value system says. So you know what? What do I need to do differently to ensure this doesn't happen again? That to me is more valuable than just inside your head telling yourself you suck. Because that alone really just affects your confidence and motivation and energy. That doesn't help. It also creates anxiety for many people. So I think when you're in the mode of self-criticism, understand that the growth mindset is key, even if you feel like you deserve it. And if you really are just arbitrarily being self-critical, then that doesn't help anything at all. So where am I going with this? Empathy is a two-way street. Do you deserve empathy? Do you deserve to treat yourself with kindness and caring and empathy? Do you give yourself latitude to make mistakes and to not be perfect and to be a flawed human being? Look, if you're not typically kind and have a good mindset with yourself, it's probably going to be a challenge for you to do that with other people because you're holding yourself to a potentially very unreasonable standard, right? And that standard may affect the standard you hold other people to and your willingness to have empathy because you have this pie-in-the-sky standard that they don't even know about, by the way. They don't know you're holding them to a standard that you hold yourself to but you're going to hold them to it and it's going to interfere with your ability to have empathy. And I'm going to give you a very specific corporate example. When you have business owners who are entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs tend to be very driven. Entrepreneurs have an incredible work ethic. Typically they often have to work harder than non-entrepreneurs. And so they have this sense of drive and passion and work ethic, and they want the people to work for them to have the same drive, passion, and work ethic. I get that. And at the end of the day, you can want people to have the same drive, passion, and work ethic because those are good qualities. They may not, though. And they may also have qualities that make them really good at what they do that you don't have as the owner, the CEO, the boss. So there's a mindset there where you have a set of expectations, and when people don't work as hard as you and they're driven, you struggle to be empathetic because they don't seem like they care. They don't seem as motivated as you. But since when is that the standard? Since when is your level of caring, drive, and passion the standard everybody else has to measure up to? Because if we're going to go there, then let's take all the aspects of being a successful professional and let's measure you in all of them, not just passion, drive, and work ethic. We make these rules for people. We have these rules for ourselves, and then we push them on other people. And the worst part is, most of the time, the other people don't know we have these rules for them. They don't know our expectations. They don't know the standards we're holding them to, but we do, and we expect them to know. So look. I want you to recognize, as a final thing today, there are four 
aspects to being an empathetic human being. And so if you're going to have a courageous conversation with yourself, if you're going to have a courageous conversation with someone that reports to you, a child, depending on their age, an athlete, someone that you're in charge of motivating, developing, and inspiring, here's the four aspects to people who are compassionate and empathetic. Number one, they listen to understand. As I've said during the show, you do not get distracted and derailed. You use conversation stacking. You lead with empathy, you stay curious, and you listen to understand. The second one is, can you relate to this person's situation? The executive I was working with this morning, it works against him. He can relate so much because he's done all the responsibilities that his employees have, and he's not empathetic at all because instead of walking in their shoes and saying, I know how hard that is, he's doing the opposite. He's saying, I've walked in your shoes, and it's not as hard as you're making it. You should get it done quicker. I've done it. I know. So when you talk about relating to other people, it's relating that you can walk in their shoes and you understand the challenges they might experience, but not necessarily setting a barometer into the way you did it. So that's two. You've got listening to understand and relatability. Number three, unconditional support. What does that mean? That means there is no owing. There is no reciprocity. I am here for you. No matter if you let me down four times over the next month, the fifth time you need me, I am here for you unconditionally, and I'm not going to hold those other four times against you. Because my job is to support you and develop you and motivate you and inspire you. So I'm going to make sure I don't do that. Unconditional support, no rules. You will support this person, genuinely and authentically. And lastly, probably one of the hardest things for human beings to do, don't be judgmental. If you're compassionate and empathetic, you are non-judgmental. Four ingredients to being empathetic and compassionate. Listening to understand, relatability, unconditional support, and non-judgmental. And that doesn't even get into really the overarching agreement, which is uh, ingredient, which is curiosity. So look, I'm in the business of helping people convert knowledge to action. You may know some of these things. You may understand the importance, but building the habits to communicate them and use emotional intelligence, that's a whole different set of skills. So that's it for today. Thank you for joining us for another edition of I Communicate. Ted, thank you for all the hard work you do. I'm Mark Altman, and if you want more information about Mindset Go, you can reach out to info at mindsetgo.com or call 978-793-1159. Have an emotionally intelligent week.